Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Hire the Smile. I'm Mike Pownall, and as usual, my co-host is my friend, Katie Arline. Hey, Katie. Hey, Michael. How are you? Just living the dream this week. How about are you? you? Living yeah. the dream? Living the dream. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm a dream this week. Last week was kind of dreamy. This one's just a week. So mm, true. At least the leaves are starting to think about appearing here in Southern Ontario. That's always a, a good oh. thing for the psyche. You know what? Every time we have a, our podcast, we start about the weather and it's such an epitome of what we are as Canadians. It's I like, know. Let's just talk it's about weather. every time. <laughs> this is true. We have seasons here. It's true. Yeah. Very true. You have a subject you wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Tell us all about it. And I know we've got some interesting articles to discuss about it as well. Yeah, for sure. So I thought this week, we or this session, we would focus on empathy and more specifically leaders and, you know, the importance of having empathy as a leader and really understanding what it means and, you know, possibly going beyond empathy and and sort of taking the next step, which we'll get to when we get into your article, the second article. But, you know, I'm kind of reminded as we went through COVID and, you know, all of the the folks that we work with and thinking about, you know, is there a common thread between practices where the staff, the culture came through things relatively intact? You know, I mean, it was incredibly stressful for everybody, but some practices fared better than others. And we said before that culture is obviously part of it. You know, having that strong, positive culture going into a crisis makes you better able to weather that crisis. But I think a key part of that is that empathy part that we see from leaders or we hope to see from leaders. You know, I can think of some folks that we work with who need to brush up on their empathy and you can really see it reflected in the staff and how they communicate and and the level of trust that the staff have for leadership and for managers. So I thought let's touch on empathy a little bit. And I think starting out with defining empathy I think sometimes uh, we get sort of mixed up, like what's sympathy, what's empathy, is it the same thing? A colleague of mine once said, well, we'll just call it simp empathy, <laughs> like <laughs> cover everything. But I think it's important to sort of make the distinction between sympathy and empathy. So if you sort of think about the continuum of understanding and support that you would have for people, the bottom left would be pity where you just feel bad for somebody, you know, like, oh, that person, you know, it sucks that that happened to them. And, you know, I I feel so bad for them. That's the person you pass on the side of the highway. That's their car is broken down. Yeah. You're like, "Eh, whatever, pity. And then the next step is that sympathy step. So sympathy is saying, I'm sorry that that happened to you, or I feel bad that this bad thing happened to you. Whereas empathy is more of 
I feel you. I can feel what you're feeling. I can sense your emotions. I can imagine myself in your shoes. I can see a situation from your point of view. And, you know, I think that's just such a critical thing for leaders. And we've sort of moved beyond thinking, well, everybody's the same. You know, we've talked about burnout, we've talked about resilience, and we really learned that this is really personal and it's different for every person. And just because one person takes two days to recover from shock or something happening in their personal life, somebody else might take two weeks and that's okay. You can't sort of judge other people for their reactions because you just have no idea what's happening with them. So the empathy is, I'm here for you. I can sit with you. Tell me what you need. I'm feeling this with you. It's creating space for people and their emotions. The next step on that continuum is the compassion part, which we'll talk about here in a little while. It's moving from, I feel you to what am I going to do about this or how can I help? I talked about empathy and why it matters, but I think, again, when we think about managers and we think about leadership, it's such a critical soft skill for managers and leaders to have. And I think the biggest thing, again, is that building the trust with employees. If you hold space for somebody and you are sensitive to what they're feeling and you can at least appreciate that their experience is different from yours, they'll be comfortable talking to you about hard stuff. If you put yourself forward as that person, they know you'll listen. They know that you'll be sensitive to their situation and their needs, and you won't be judgmental. And I have to be perfectly honest in my career, when I was more of a hands-on manager, I would definitely judge. Why does this person need this time? And what's the deal? And compare it to yourself. And if you're sort of that martyr type personality, then it can be really easy to say, well, these people are all just really soft, but that's not a good enough mindset anymore, especially for a leader. If you can create this feeling of empathy or you can, you, your staff know you're somebody that they can trust, that they come to talk to, and you're going to be understanding. It sets the tone for how people communicate with each other in the entire practice, really opens up those lines of communication. People aren't worried that they're going to be cut off or judged or made to feel bad. Thinking about that trust side of things is so important. As you're talking about this, this totally reminds me of the relationship between a veterinarian and their client. Mm. So we can give recommendations to a client and they'll act unexpectedly or they'll appear to be uninterested in a protocol or they're probably hyper vigilant about something they need to do. We all have those clients and we've all been in uh, the exam rooms and talking to a client and we're not just reading them. We're just not getting where they're coming from and we don't know what's going on in their life. So, you know, you can talk about somebody, but well, it's time to euthanize your dog and they just lose it. And you're like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. But then you find out there's, you know, there could have been a death in the family. Who knows what they're going on? And so I think as veterinarians, we're probably much more empathetic to clients. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, when we look at our staff, that empathy switch goes off. Yeah. Then they're like, they should be like me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It does. It- so the article that really piqued my interest in, in talking more about empathy this week was by a lady named Tracy Bauer. This is from Forbes. It's called Empathy is the Most Important Leadership Skill According to Research. And it was the research part of things that really sort of got my antenna up. And what this author did was look at a study that found correlations between staff who felt like their management and leadership had a high level of empathy and other business outcomes. So, uh, for example, on the innovation side, when people reported that they had empathetic leaders, 
61% of people reported that they felt they could be more innovative versus 13% with non-empathetic leaders. I thought that was really interesting, maybe having that space to take risks, having an empathetic leader, somebody who's going to say, hey, you know, you took a swing and maybe you didn't connect, but that was a really good idea. You know, that that helps people come forward more and have that courage to, to innovate and come up with new ideas. So that was one employee engagement, our best friend. 76% were engaged with empathetic leaders versus 32% that experienced less empathy. And that's a bit of a no-brainer for you and I. Obviously, we've talked about that uh, here at length. Retention, specifically when women feel like their situation and their stresses were understood and honored, 60% reported they would be less likely to leave a company versus around 23% of those who didn't feel understood and supported. Boy, if this was an article, you'd want to have this bolded that section because we have such a retention problem now and if being more empathetic can alleviate some of that like let's all get on that absolutely yeah such a such a big pickle right now on the work-life balance side when leaders are more empathetic 86 percent 86 felt like they were able to navigate and balance the stresses of work versus life compared to 60 percent who perceived less empathy uh and you know there are also numbers correlating cooperation among teams, and greater levels of mental health when people felt like their their leaders were empathetic. These are huge. And I, I mean, I don't think this is necessarily giant revelations, but seeing the numbers there and connecting those, the more esoteric or the things that are hard to quantify, uh, I think that's really important. It's very interesting. And I think in particular, thinking back to recent employee engagement surveys we've done since COVID started, especially on the work-life side, I can think of a couple of practices that we work with where people said, yeah, like that management is so understanding. And, you know, despite how stressful and how burned out we are, I feel like I have a work-life balance, which I think is quite exceptional. It's not that they feel any less stress, but they feel like their leadership is more on their side and is more understanding and empathetic. This really made me think of somewhere where I worked early in my career that was pretty top-down you do what you said, what's in the manual, employee manual goes, and you know there isn't a lot of leeway. And I remember a situation where I had a grandparent that had died and you were supposed to get one bereavement day. And I think the day that she died, she died in the nighttime. And it was like, okay, well, we all went to the hospital and that's what we had to do. And so then when I said, well, I needed a day for the funeral, they're like, well, you already took a day off. And I was like, really? Are you serious? You're really going to split hairs with me on this? And so you can see versus somebody who says, maybe one person takes two days when a family member passes away. Somebody else might need a week or whatever. It's like, just give people what they need and they'll be more loyal. So I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. Because as you're talking, I can hear in my head some voices from people we've known who will be saying, well, how much is enough? So, mm-hmm. you know, I've got a business to run and you're expecting me to let somebody have a week off. Well, like, what if they're just taking advantage and they really only needed two or three days? I can hear like three or four voices of people because I've had this conversation with them. And yeah. I've been, you know, obviously been like, you know, you got to be empathetic for all the great reasons you just suggested. But I just like to hear what you would say to that person. I I think this goes back to that trust. It's not just people trusting you as a leader. It's you trusting your staff and who you've hired and who you have on and knowing, okay, this person is legit. This person needs five days or this person needs three days. If it's somebody who has a pattern of 
sick days that are sort of suspect and really affect the team and people kind of roll their eyes, then that's one thing. But I think that if if you have a, a great healthy culture where people are engaged and they know what they're supposed to be doing and they understand how they fit into the team, they're not going to take extra time. Right. I'm thinking about even with an equine practice that we work with and the veterinarians have a whole lot of vacation that's available to them, but they feel bad taking it because they don't want to let the rest of the team down or create more work. Obviously you want to encourage people to take their vacation, but it's that kind of mindset where they're so focused on the team and they understand how their absence affects other people. So I think that if you're worried about people taking advantage, think about who do you have hired and what kind of trust level do you have? So that's what pops to mind for me. I also think about control. Yeah. And those people are like, I just want to see them at work because, you know. Yeah. And I kind of think of, well, you want them at work as, are you happy to have a body at work? Yeah. Or do you want somebody that actually is engaged, going to do their job other than just walking or just going through the motions? Because honestly, it can get dangerous. That's yeah. when we have breakdowns in medical care, client communication. So actually, in the big picture, it's better to almost err on the side of caution because if somebody's coming back and they're so distraught by something, yeah, they're not going to be, a, it's just what a horrible position to put them in, but B, they're not going to be really helpful. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you don't want somebody working who's obviously in distress that you can see. Yeah. Feel horrible forcing somebody to come in when they felt like that. So I think it's, it's, it's still, it goes back to the trust and sure you're going to have people who abuse the system, but I think that you should know your staff well enough and you should have a level of trust and understanding that they're going to do the right thing and they're not going to take advantage. Yeah, basically it comes down. You don't want to let that one bad apple ruin it for everybody else. Exactly. You don't want to be that one. Because of you, we can't have nice things. It's like, no, because of you, yeah. you're an isolated incident and the rest can ha- you know, deal with it. Yeah, and I think it goes back to you have somebody who has something that needs to be addressed. It's having the skills and having the courage to talk to them about their the constructive criticism they need and not punish everybody and come out with those blanket sort of edicts where everybody else is like, well, what the heck? I didn't do anything wrong. Like, why am I getting punished for this? Or why am I under the microscope? So so with some proactivity, you can help prevent people taking advantage for sure. Cool. So just the next sort of part of this article, which was the kind of how to, you think about, okay, well, I understand what empathy is, but then sort of like, well, how do I lead with empathy? How do I demonstrate empathy? And I thought I had a really, a couple of really good simple ways to think about this. So they break it down, like I said, into a couple different ways. So there's the cognitive empathy where you're considering someone else's thoughts or, you know, if I were in their position, what would I be thinking right now? Really putting yourself in their shoes, getting over there with that person. Where would my mind be at right now? And then there's the emotional empathy. We talked about the cognitive empathy what are we thinking? And then the emotional empathy is being in their position. How would that make me feel? So there's thinking and the feeling. And I think that those are really great litmus questions to ask yourself. If you're sort of think about their situation, think about their background, think about, okay, well, how would I feel? So I think those are two really great basic questions that you can ask. I think also you have to be able to express concerns and inquire about challenges directly and actually listen to employee responses. I'm sure that we've we've talked about levels of listening on this podcast before and sort of being in that level of listening where you're actually hearing what the person is saying versus listening just so you can say the next thing. You're listening to them, but you're like, but I want, but, 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 but. 
and really listening and picking up on things that maybe they're not saying that are really, really important. So that's a huge part of it as well. Checking in, asking questions, uh, taking cues from employees as far as how much they want to share too can be a fine balance. Like how much should I ask? What do they want to tell me? As a leader too, being educated about whatever supports you might have as a company. So something like an employee assistance plan, which I feel like we should do a topic on or a whole podcast on is sort of the mental health stuff that's out there for staff. Something like an employee assistance program, it's a very minimal cost to the company, a few dollars per employee per month. But, you know, it can help you when you say, I have an employee and they have something, you know, something's wrong or they're having a challenge right now and it's affecting the business. It's affecting the team. You can talk to them about how they're, whatever they're grappling with is affecting the team, but you can't talk to them and say, you have to get treatment for whatever it is that's bothering you. So that employee assistance program can be that like that handy sort of gateway where you can say there are professionals here that can help you. I would encourage people to look into it as a way that people can get help. And, you know, there's a whole myriad of, of uh, services that are available for people uh, in an employee assistance program. But, you know, you as the leader, you need to know that you have that and you need to be able to pull that out and share it with people if it's something that they need. Super handy segue from this article into the one that you're going to talk about is you have to also think about, you know, okay, understanding is great. Being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes is great, but you kind of need to do something about it too. It's like when somebody comes to you with feedback or they have a problem with something, you're like, okay, well, thanks for telling me. And then nothing changes. And they're like, well, what's the point? This is sort of the same thing. Okay, well, what do they need? If they need something from me, what is it? Moving into that compassion side of things or moving into action is also something we need to think about. And I think that you might have some ideas on that, Mike. Before I get there, though, as, as you were talking, I was thinking of one thing. So as a, as a leader, as, you know, as the owner of a veterinary practice, I think I'm reflective of a lot of people as often you're older, a different generation from yeah. the people that you work with. There are different norms with different generations. That's fine. Not, not one better than worse. But I know as, you know as a business owner, you're looking through your lenses. And so what's good for the business, what's good for the customers. Uh, yes, you're, you're cognizant of the employees. You want to do well for the employees. But sometimes this language comes up where these situations come up that are just so darn foreign to you from where you're from. Mm. So when you hear somebody saying, oh, they need a couple of days off for a bereavement or something's going on in their life. And I'm sort of like, well, back in my day, we would just suck it up. And mm -hmm. yes, we would. And I probably would too. And I'm not saying that's right or not. And what really helped me understand that the way I think is not the way others think. Thank God. But anyway, <laughs> is, is to find somebody like yourself or other people in the organization that you trust. And so when they come to you and say, this is what's going on, it's almost like you're asking them to translate for you in mm -hmm. terms of so here I am, I'm in my late 50s. This is what I think about the situation. And then you can talk to somebody who's in their late 20s and say, yeah, but mm -hmm. this is what's going on. And if you trust that person, I have found in the past that that was really educational for me to understand and how to be, as you said, in, in the shoes of the other person to understand where they're at and not just like, well, that's just the way it should be. Yeah. I throw that out there. That's sort of inching also into the idea of inclusivity. Mm. And being sensitive and language matters and, and thinking about how you might think something is silly or 
X, Y, Z is why do we have to be so careful about this these days? And it's like, well, what is the big deal? You yeah, know, exactly. Like, like, why wouldn't you want to be more inclusive? It's not like the world was perfect in 1952. I'm not that old. <laughs> it's fair. I was, I was the general you, not the Mike Powell you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this is a great segue to the next article. And it's called, from Harvard Business Review, it's called Connect with Empathy, but Lead with Compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's from December 23rd, 2021 authored by Rasmus Hugar, Jacqueline Carter, and Marissa Afton. And much like you uh, described in the introduction, there are those four paths from pity, sympathy, empathy, and compassion. And what I like when they talk about compassion is that it's sort of that next step away from empathy. And we ask ourselves what we can do to support the person who is suffering. So there's that action. So that they say, the, the quote from the article, compassion is an intention versus an emotion like sympathy, empathy, or, or mm. pity. And so mm. it really is like, okay, I am empathetic to the situation the person is in. How can I step outside of it and help them? Like, is there anything concrete that I can do? And so they gave some really good, some help for us. And I think the one line that I, I love on this, and it just, again, going back to as a leader, having empathy is essential is the the one uh, CEO they quote that said, a leader without empathy is like an engine without a spark plug. It simply won't engage. As I'm saying that, as we're getting more and more into electric vehicles, this will be a quote that will be irrelevant in about five years. But anyway, so first thing they suggest in terms of leading of compassion is to take a mental and emotional step away. So instead of getting caught in that empathetic moment where you're just, you're so emotionally engaged, like step out. Try to get a clear perspective of the situation and that person and, and use that perspective to sort of analyze, okay, what do I need to do? How do I help this person? And so I think that's key. Kind of reminds me of when we used to hire uh, receptionists or customer service representatives, however you may call it in your own organization, we're all like, we need really empathetic people because we want mm-hmm. them to be very considerate towards a customer. We want empathy, but really we want somebody to solve a problem. Yeah, And so it's very similar to this is that you need, okay, yes, okay, your appointment, something happened or something happened with the medication or your dog's still sick. Translate that into an employee. It's like, all right, what am I going to do to help? Mm -hmm. You know, empathy is great. What's the next step? Yeah. So after you've, you know, stepped away from a little bit, trying to put a little bit of distance so you have some perspective and oversight of the situation. So the next step is to ask what they need. You know, just asking, you know, what do you need? You've started, uh, you've initiated the process of letting them reflect on what's going on, letting them verbalize what they may need. And and that's the information that you're going to need to help them, to help you do a better job for them. For the suffering person, the first step for them to being helped is to feel heard and seen. And that's what you are just talking about before is that Mm -hmm. listen, not listen to interject, but to listen to understand what's going on with them. I like this one. Remember the power of non-action. You know, we're really good as leaders of getting stuff done. That's how we built our practices, our businesses. But sometimes with these challenges, sometimes it's okay that we don't have a solution for them. And sometimes you just need to listen to them and just be a caring presence. And so that's sometimes a non-action is the right action. But what also I think is great, and this goes into the helping people even more is by coaching them so they can find their own solution. Being a leader is not about solving problems for people. That's being a micromanager. 
a leader is empowering others to discover how they can be a better person, better producer, you know, what have you. And so as a leader, you're helping people to grow and develop, and it's the same situation. And so by these conversations, coaching them and mentoring them helps them find a pathway to their own answers. Mm-hmm. And then I think the last one they're talking about is if you're listening to a lot of people or people are upset, and I would say through COVID, we're all listening to a lot of stories of people's, their own challenges with the pandemic. I'm not going to get into them because it's almost going to be PTSD for all of us is having self-compassion by Mm -hmm. having self-care. At times as a leader, you've got to take care of yourself. You just can't be the reservoir for everybody's uh, challenges. You need to be able to take care of yourself. So that's, you're putting a lot out to people when you're coaching them, when you're being that leader. So you got to make sure that you as a leader, you're sleeping well, you're eating well, uh, you're taking care of yourself. Maybe you're finding other people that can listen to you and they can be compassionate to yourself. I, I think the worst thing to do is to try to just like, I can handle it. I'm the leader. Mm-hmm. I'm the ever-expanding reservoir uh, of people's challenges. And that doesn't end well. So, I, mm-hmm. you know, you need to step away, take care of yourself so you can be that better, more compassionate person for them. Mm-hmm. Love this article. Uh, I think it's coming from a book. Yeah, they have some couple of books there. And one of them I just downloaded, Compassionate Leadership, How to Do Hard Things in a Human Way. Mm, nice. So one of the things we're introducing now, and uh, this will be, will be an ongoing thing that we're going to be doing in the Hire the Small podcast, is we're going to ask for questions from you. What would you like us to discuss in relating to um, human resources? Maybe your own challenges in your own business. You can email us. There'll be a place on our website, oculusinsights.net or info at oculusinsights.net if you have that question. And in every episode of Hire the Smile, we will endeavor to answer that question. We Mm -hmm. will definitely anonymize it so nobody can sit there and go, oh, I know who that is. And that's hard because you're trying to be vulnerable. You have a sincere question and you're never sure who's all listening to the podcast and Mm -hmm. you just don't know if you want to share your problems. So Katie, you have, you're going to kick it off. Yeah. So reaching into the mailbag this week, uh, I can't tell you how long I wanted to say the mailbag on a podcast. I just realized that now, but reaching into the mailbag, the question this week is a simple one. Uh, and, you know, unrelated to what we were talking about today, uh, should compensation increases always be tied to performance review scores? This is something that we at Oculus really believe and think is a great way to motivate the type of behavior you want is to you know make it really clear to people if they perform x uh you know if they score x on their performance review then it translates to y as far as their uh compensation increase that doesn't necessarily work in all practice cultures the matrix system that i just described with the scoring it works really well like it takes the questions out of things you give people an, ex- an idea of exactly what they need to do to get an increase the stronger their performance, the better the raise. Uh, the challenge can be that you need to really have an objective way of measuring. So you need to be, make sure that you've got scoring guides or you're measuring against goals that have been set that have really well-delineated benchmarks and like what does complete look like. And I think, you know, the scoring guide thing, you know, it's basically you score from six to 10. Like what does six look like? what does 10 look like for each of the things that you're scoring? It can help when you're, you're trying to explain to 
somebody that works for you, why they got the score they did, you go back to that scoring guide and say, you know, we recognize you more in this category versus the one below it or the one above it. So overall, really, you want to, to be able to reward the desired behaviors. But there are potential downsides. There are concerns about objectivity. So again, if you don't have that scoring guide, you know, and you can't tell people, okay, well, what's a seven versus a 10, then why wouldn't they score themselves a 10? Totally agree. It can also be difficult if you are working in a practice where there isn't one person that's responsible for assigning scores. So you might have one person where they score a lot of sevens and the other person, the employee performance level is the same, but for whatever reason, they sort of identify more with an eight for people. So you have to really make sure that people understand how to score things, or you have to have some kind of internal guidelines or bumpers to make sure that people are sort of all on the same page as far as scores go. If people think there's unfairness in how things are scored, they're really not going to trust the process. The cooperation between people can really go down, teamwork can go down. And I think something that we might we might see in vet medicine more than anywhere else is that it can encourage unhealthy behaviors as well in making people less collaborative. For example, uh, veterinarians who are working a lot on commission, that it might motivate uh, unfortunate behavior and people are, are earning raises based on how they perform, then they might do all of what it takes to get a higher score so they can get a, a bigger raise. So think about ways to remedy that, making sure people understand how the process works. You don't want them thinking, okay, well, I'm going to work on making sure that I have really excellent attention to detail, but they're actually getting reviewed on their customer service. They put all their eggs in one basket, trying to work towards one thing, and then you pull the rug out from underneath. So you really need to make sure that people understand what they're being evaluated on. Thinking about a few alternatives uh, to tying compensation to performance review scoring, thinking about giving the same percentage increase across the board for everybody or for per whatever you budgeted for wage increases that year, that can work, especially in a place where maybe you just haven't been able to put together a performance review system or something like that. But it doesn't necessarily motivate excellence if people are motivated by money. Mm-hmm. Cost of living uh, is another thing, just doing increase based on cost of living increases. And I I think this is a little more fraught these days with how high inflation is. Cost of living, that could get quite astronomical. Length of tenure. So it's like, okay, X, Y, Z, I think like a way of a lot of government works. You've been here for eight years, you get X uh, increase, or you just get the same increase every year until the person's making too much money for the position. That can be a pickle as well. You could compare rank people against each other, uh, which sounds really combative. It really isn't, but I don't think it's the best way to do things. You know, people can't control what other people do. So to rank them against each other isn't really fair either. Uh, And then there's just like doing whatever you feel is right, (laughs) which isn't ideal either, but it's better than not doing anything at all. You know, having people beg for a raise after eight years of not getting one isn't an ideal situation either. So again, in sum... Uh, compensation should be tied to performance reviews or should be tied to some combination of performance that can show the employee exactly what they need to do to uh, achieve an increase. Ideally, that's the way it goes. But in all cases, it should be pretty transparent for staff as to how compensation increases work. So they're not sort of wondering and left having to beg for wage increases. Love it. Thanks. That's great. 
So yes, if anybody has any questions or has their own HR predicament and wants some guidance, uh, let us know. Uh, info at oculusinsights.net and we'll include it into our uh, next episode. Katie, once again, it was great. Learned a lot. I don't know how people, what they get out of this, but I know of creating this, I always learn something new every time mm-hmm. that I sort of write down and add to my arsenal of tools of being a better leader. So thanks. And we have a new special feature to the Hire the Smile podcast, kind of related to HR, but not entirely, but still of interest, I'm sure, to everybody in the veterinary audience. I'd love to introduce uh, Alyssa Rubenstein, who works with us in marketing, who's our marketing expert at Oculus. Alyssa, welcome to the Hire the Smile podcast. Thank you for having me. So we're going to have Alyssa join us every once in a while, talk about something that's of a burning interest, something that is new, exciting in the world of marketing. Here's my really tenuous relationship with marketing and human resources. Longtime listeners will know that we always talk about our employees as our first customer. They're the number one customer. We got to take care of our employees first before we can take care of our staff. So I'm kind of thinking that, hey, we're marketing often to our own staff to either attract and retain people. But I admit it's a thin, thin stretch. But anyway, Alyssa, what do you want to talk about this time? So I came across a post on LinkedIn the other day, and it's actually something that Mike and I have talked about a lot with how vet practices deal with this kind of thing, but inspired me to talk about it today. And it's how so many businesses focus on their competitors. And while it's important that you should understand your competitors and what they offer, but you can't focus your marketing ideas or strategy based on them. Often the best marketing ideas come from studying your own customers and not your competitors. That practices need to focus on their customers' why, their pain points, their challenges, and their interests, because tactics that work for your competitors may not work for your practice, whether you have a different client type, your location, the age of the customer, what they value. There's so many different things in a customer segment, which is why you need to study your own customers. So if you focus on your own customers, you can continuously add value for them rather than compare your numbers to your competitors. And this way you will see long-term results rather than short-term gains. I love that. I did a presentation recently and I talked about the same thing. I see too many practices and I've caught myself in the past doing that. It's like, what are they doing? And, oh, they're offering that service. Oh, they're, they're on Facebook doing that. Or they have that on the website. And then what ends up happening with your own business is that you just change who you are to be like the other practice. And then after a while, what made you special? Yeah, it's kind of mediocre. It's like run of the mill. So yeah, I like that. So basically, if you could find what your clients value, focus on that, you don't have to really worry about your competition too much. 100%. Another point in there just to butt in is that different clients are looking for different things too. So, you know, not necessarily everybody is your client and your competitor, you know, like Mike was saying, might have totally different type of client base. So you have to kind of keep that in mind too. You're never going to be able to serve every single pet owner or animal owner in the world. So focus on the ones that you want to to serve for sure. Yeah, I love it. Thanks, Alyssa. And so uh, Alyssa, if anybody has any marketing questions or needs some suggestions or some help, Alyssa is the person you need to talk to. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. 
This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.